Good morning. Uh, I'm here, as Anne said, with my family. We stay in the Vicarvets. Uh, my family are more or less sitting down there, yeah? My wife Sarah and our four children. I think Anna is in the Silton Church. Um, we, um, yeah, we, had a, we have a great time here. We came, um, I came first, I think. And, and, and the family came Friday. And we have had a day with the community leaders in your, in your church here uh, yesterday. And, um, and that was very fascinating. I, uh, I like to think about church as both, both the temple gathering, the Sunday gathering, and the communities. And I think we absolutely need both. And um, if any place in the world, in England, I think, wasn't it, the Synod of Whitby, I think, was it 640 or something, wasn't it? And the Celtic church in this nation and the Roman church united. And that was bringing together these two dynamics of church. The church as home, the church as a network, the church as scattered groups, and the church as a gathered thing. So uh, definitely stick to that. Um, as, um, as you know, we are from Denmark, um, and uh, English is not our mother tongue, and um, that might confuse you now and then. I think it was the word seal yesterday. You were thinking I was talking about uh, a fish. I was actually talking about being sealers. Is that what I say? Yeah. So we are, we are learning as we go along. Years ago, I had a message over here. It was not in this church where I... Um, changed the word circumstance with circumcision. That was very unhelpful. Uh, so if, if, if I say things that you consider weird, just uh, ask Anne afterwards how to, to clean up the mess. Um, you have a vision for this year about pioneer, being pioneers, being uh, leading chains, taking on new ideas, new possibilities, new opportunities. And as a part of that, uh, Anne has asked me whether I could uh, speak on how the church is designed by God to pioneer. So to this morning, it will be about how did God design his church. So just tell your neighbor that's what we're going to speak about this morning. And to help, us, uh, to help us, we are going to uh, meet a Paul, the Apostle Paul from New Testament, that amazing, uh, fascinating character. And uh, it's almost like you never come to an end with Paul. I mean, it, it's, such a, um, it's such a fascinating story. He was what we nowadays would call a terrorist, one who persecutes people due to their conviction and faith, yeah? And... Um, he persecuted the early church, and um, at some point, Jesus encountered him and said, in a vision, he saw Jesus as risen from the dead, and Jesus asked him, why are you persecuting me? Why are you killing me? Why are you destroying me? And that was, that became, in a way, the question Thank you very much. That led into uh, to Paul's um, to Paul's calling, because there was Jesus saying to Paul, "When you persecute my church, you are in fact persecuting me. I am so united with my people that if you persecute them, you persecute me. Think about that." 
And I think that is the reason why Paul, when he had to go for his favorite metaphor for the church, he developed as the first in, in, in Scripture, in the history of God, God's people, he invented the term, the body of Christ. The church as a body. Because his exact own journey was that he destroyed and persecuted, even to death, that body. And now Jesus called him, transformed him, led in him the exact opposite direction to begin to edify and build up that body. Yeah? So the body of Christ is significant. It, I think it's Paul's favorite term for the people of God. Peter has other terms, uh, a priesthood of all believers, or there are other terms in the New Testament for the people of God, for the church. Paul's favorite is the body. It's about the body. And as we read on in, in Corpus Pauline, you know, in his letters, we will see how Paul have more and more revelation about how God designed that body. Uh, just stand with me for a moment. If you're able, please stand. And just stand on, 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 on one foot. And as you do that, take out your hands like this. Yeah? And some of you are better than others. I pick up in the front here. No mention named. Uh, yeah. Okay, thank you very much. Just, just pick up in your, please be seated, just pick up in your body how your body is designed to function. And um, it's not by mistake you have two legs or two arms or two ears and one mouth. Um, and so Paul begin to see the church as a body, a body functioning. And he used that metaphor again and again. The first uh, time we meet it is in, this, is in the first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 12. He begins to unfold how some in the community of believers is the hand. Some is like the food. Some is, and the hand cannot say, I'm not worthy because I'm absolutely as worthy as anyone else and as important as anyone else to the body to function, or the ear or the eye. He keeps playing with that metaphor of the church as a body until we come to the place where we are going to dive in today, the church to the, uh, the letter to the church in Ephesus and the surrounding network of churches that has grown out of that center um, in the early church. And uh, we, let's uh, look up in Ephesians and you will have the text up there later, the main text. I'm just quoting a few places to get us started. Paul uh, opened his letter, and we should always pay notice to how he opens a letter. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. By the will of God. That's probably a hint. Paul opens by saying, he, say, he has different way of opening letters. This letter he opens by saying, an apostle, a sent one by God, by the will of God. And probably he used that terminology right here to this church in Ephesus because years, years early on, he, he, was, he, has, he has done two big missionary journeys. We are in Acts, around Acts 18 and 19 now. And he was tired. He was broken. He had been whipped, persecuted himself. 
at this time in his ministry, a bunch of false apostles, people preaching another gospel, were traveling after him wherever he went. He just couldn't stand it. So after two long missionary journeys planting churches and revisiting the churches already planted, he was almost giving up. And the book of Acts tells us that he, when he finally came to Ephesus, which was his original longest wish and longing on the first, very first uh, missionary journey, he wanted to go to Ephesus. He knew it was strategic important to reach Ephesus. And uh, the Holy Spirit said, don't go to Ephesus now. So now years later, he was in Ephesus, Acts 18, 19, and he said to the team, I'm leaving you. I'm going back to Jerusalem. That was quite a journey. I need to go in the temple in Jerusalem. I need to pray. And he cut off his beard because that was probably a sign of the Nazarene vow. When you really were dedicating to something in the people of God, then you were, you were probably, he was probably fasting and praying. And I think it was in the temple in Jerusalem that God spoke to him as he later says in 2 Corinthians 12, my grace is sufficient for you. I will not take the thorn out of your flesh, the thing you are struggling with in ministry that will keep you humble, but my grace is sufficient. My power is, will manifest itself in your weakness. That's what I think happened there that he refers to in that letter. So now, years later, he writes back to the church in Ephesus because he did come back. He did embrace weakness, grace, and in Ephesus, he saw a level of God's power as far as we know he hadn't seen on the other journeys. It's in Ephesus we are told that extraordinary miracles happened in Paul's ministry. I don't know how it's in your church. In my church, miracles are in itself extraordinary. So if they were extraordinary miracles, and we are told that people even, Paul was a tent maker, a businessman, and people got his handkerchiefs and scarves and brought them to the, to the sick and they were healed. You can only have that sense of power from God in your ministry if you are fully done with yourself. So the Paul who came to Ephesus was broken and done and God worked powerfully in him and it is at Ephesus he built a training center and was sending out uh, missionaries to the surrounding churches we are told in Acts 19. So the whole area of um, Asia Minor was reached by the gospel. And now, in the letter to Ephesians, he's looking back on that journey and asking himself, what of God's design for his church did I especially have revealed? What did we learn together about the design of the church with that journey? So let's read on. Um, and first, in the, Paul's letters, except for St. Corinthians, are divided in two sections. There's a general section and when an applied section, how do we apply this in our lives? And in the general section in Ephesians, and we are in the chapter two, verse eight, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Paul will say that in all his letters. That counts for the Ephesian church as well. We are saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourself, it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. My church father, Martin Luther, could have written this sentence, I think. 
But when he continues in verse 10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, saved by grace does not mean paralyzed by grace. There are things to get done, but also those things are planned in advance by God in his design. So the idea is not we are saved by grace and when we just have to keep up appearances, so to speak, really take on our duty. No, we are saved by grace and we will also serve by grace, by what God has created us to walk in and live in. It's almost like we express what we originally were created to do when we are restored in Christ. And when we move to the text for this Sunday, sorry about the long introduction, we are in chapter four in the letter to Ephesus, and I think you will have the text on the screen as I read on. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love, Make every effort to keep unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. First, Paul describes what should be the atmosphere. He urged the churches in Ephesus and surrounding areas to have the atmosphere of peace, forgiveness, unity, and love. So first, he, he emphasizes the unity, the thing that unites every Christian. It's the same grace we are saved by. It's the same one Father. It's the same baptism. It's we are one in Christ. He, emphasis, he put emphasis on the oneness first before he begins to speak about the design in diversity, design in diversity. So comes verse 7, which is the tipping verse in the letter. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So the saving grace by which we are all saved has been apportioned individually to us. And the word Paul used here in Greek, New Testament Greek, Koine Greek, is katamitron, after Messiah. And that means tailor-made, tailor-made. So the grace that saves me and saves Anne, even though Frisbee is still sneaking around, Anne's cat, the grace that saves us is apportioned differently to Anne and I. Because to eat, it has been apportioned. So, so unique is the design of the body of Christ. Think about that. It is tailor-made. I don't know in this church, if you are in your church, do you ever use the collar, Anne? That shirt, you call it collar? You don't like that kind of thing, though. No. Some of you will, will know churches where they use that. That's right, you know what I talk about, like pastor's clothing or, yeah, vicar's clothing, yeah. I do have these shirts as well with a collar in. And uh, when, when you buy them, you can either buy them in a, um, in a uniform size, and I do not have a typical vic, vicar's 
uh, fashion, so to speak. So they are too big for me. So I have them tailor-made. I have them tailor-made in Taylor Store. So you go into Taylor Store and you say, I want that kind of shirt. And when you put all the meshes of your arm length and everything, and you get it sent to you, it fits perfectly. That is tailor-made. It, 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 it fits your person. God's grace saves you and is tailor-made for you to do good works, fitting your personality. That's the core design of the body of Christ. To each one of us, it is tailor-made. Think about it. So it's, again, it's like a body, and Paul didn't even know that then. We know today that all the cells in a body share some of the common DNA that makes it work, but it's expressed individually in each cell in the body. So even what we know about now, these days, about how a physical body is designed and created by God, illustrates even further the point here. We have a shared DNA, but it's, it is expressed in the people of God individually, tailor-made. It fits your person. And when Paul continues to say, how do we identify these tailor-made shapes? So he moves to, we move to verse 11 now. There's a parenthesis where he gets so excited about his new insight that he begins to, to, um, to worship Jesus. And he continues in verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then you will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will go to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So Paul is saying as we reflect on how is my tailor made a portion grace. In, in other letters he used the word charisma which just means that you take carries, carries, grace, and make it concrete and act out on it. It's the same idea. How do we identify our tailor-made grace? And how do we identify it in each other? And Paul gives five clues here to the design of the people of God. But there are lots more to the design. We know that from other letters, Romans 12 1 Corinthians 12 is also Paul's teaching on the spiritual gift and design. So this is not exclusive, but I think this is the thing he highlights for building the body and, and, uh, and other churches that were planted out of that network. And when he begins to talk about five aspects, we are going to illustrate them like this. He uses a metaphor of the body and Christ is the head. 
That's what is said here and already early on in the same letter. So Christ is the head of the body. No one here is the head of the body. Christ is the head of the body, if it's Christ's body. When he talks about apostles, and I will illustrate that as one leg in the body, because legs move us forward. We are walking on legs. So one of the legs is the apostle. The word apostello means to be sent. It's the same as missionary. And in the design of God's people, some also in this room has that spiritual tailor-made grace. Remember, when we take the word apostle in this context, we do not mean the 12, the canonical apostles who were earthly witnesses to Jesus' ministry and teaching. Of course not. They were were only for that time in history. We talk about an apostolic dynamic, the constant sending of the church in mission. Some of you in this room carries that tailor-made grace. You might not like, it might not even be helpful that you say about yourself, I identify as an apostle. You might say, I'm entrepreneurial wired. I'm the one of the persons who keeps things moving forward. Many pioneer leaders in the non-church field will find themselves here. If you're an apostle, the question you ask for breakfast, if you are baptized and know Jesus and believe in him, the question for breakfast is this, where is the people of God heading? What is the vision and what is the strategy to get there? That's a typical question for one with an apostolic tailor-made grace. That's the first question you ask if you're part of something. And you will begin as a pioneer because this leg is a strong pioneer leg to move in that direction and and try to draw people into it. If a church is led by people with that kind of tailor-made grace, the church will move forward. That is the grace God has designed them to bring into the wider body. And they will help ask questions and mobilize and equip others to move along. The next is the prophet. The prophet. The prophet asks another question for breakfast. The prophet asks, what is God saying to his people and do they respond accordingly? If you have a tailor-made prophetic gift, you will be occupied about the presence of God. And what is God saying and do we align? The prophets in Old Testament, to begin with them, were constantly leading God's people back to their true identity, DNA, and lifestyle according to be the covenant people of God. The apostles, or the prophets, sorry, in New Testament are different in the sense that the full revelation has come in Jesus, but they are doing the same. They are listening to what is God saying to his people or to individual in the body of Christ, and do they respond? If you are a prophet, you ask, what is God saying? What is God saying to me? What is God saying to our church? What is God saying to my Barnabas community? What is God saying? That's the first question you intuitively ask. You maybe not even thought about it. That's a sign that your tailor-made grace is down this leg. And Paul is saying another place in this letter that churches are founded on the gifts of the apostles and the prophets. In other words, these two dynamics are necessary 
to go forward for any church. What is God saying to us as a church, and how do we strategically and mobilize in that direction? That's these two gifts. But if you only have these two tailor-made grace in St. Barnabas, you have two legs walking without a body. Yeah? It might be great fun, but probably confusing. So God has given more tailor-made grace. Thirdly, the evangelist. The evangelist is a gift who asks and thinks about, you sit now and think about the people who are not here if you're an evangelist. That's your tendency. Are the people of God reaching the people with the gospel who has not yet heard about Jesus or, or, or know about him or met him? If you're an evangelist by tailor-made grace, you will ask the question, you will, you, will, you will identify with sitting in this church on a Sunday or in a community thinking about the people who are not there. How could they be part of this? How could they hear the good news? How can we reach more people who are not already there? My observation is that the further we go up in the body, the more relational comes at the front. It's very much about relationships, and the further we go down, we'll be more task-oriented. Also for the prophet, actually. Both are relational and task-oriented, but in different order. So that's an, often another way to help you de de define whether you have the gift of the evangelist. Does relationships typically come before before task. Many evangelists, then connecting with new people, meeting new people, comes very natural. If you ask the question as a core question, you think if you should have a conversation with Anne and the wardens and the leaders of this church and you're an evangelist, your core question will be, how do we reach more people in Cambridge who are already not here? That's a sign that you have been tailor-made as an evangelist. That's the thing that gives you passion. Fourthly, we have the, past, uh, the shepherd. We can use both pastor and shepherd. Pastor is not helpful because it's also used for a specific role in leading a church. So let's put shepherd. The shepherd is also a relational gift, but it's much more walking alongside the people who are already there. The, one who, the question of the shepherd is, are God's people taken care of? Do people, are people met and welcomed and continue to be that? Not just as the evangelists will do maybe in the beginning, but continue to do that. Shepherds are amazingly good in walking with people over a long time period, often in smaller groups, small groups, smaller units. That's where they thrive because that gift of relating to people over a long and be a steady co-walker, bystander to a person is typically the gift of the shepherd. Any church needs lots of people with that tailor-made gift. At best, you'll have a leader with that gift for every five or 10 people. Because when everyone will, body-wise, almost automatically be seen and, and taken care of. Because that's the tailor-made grace they have. My confessor has that gift as one of his tailor-made gifts. It means that when I go to confession, I'm very happy for that. He always thinks more about me than about the task. And finally, we have the gift of the teacher. 
that holds it all together in sound doctrine according to the apostles' teaching, according to Scripture. A teacher will ask, Are God, do God's people know the Word of God and do they apply it in their lives? That's a question of a teacher. Do you know the Word of God? A, a gift, a tailor-made gift as teacher will often show itself that you like to study, you like to go deep, you like to understand things, and you love to explain things to other people so they also understand it. So again, don't take these as narrow roles. You might think, I'm never a teacher who stands up here and are preaching and teaching. No, but you might be a gifted teacher in going deep with things, understanding it, and passing it on in a one-on-one -on -one relationship or however it works for you. So don't take these words as a specific role, but as a kind of mo deep motivation in your life. The question you ask, do we know the, the Word of God in this church, and do we apply it to our lives? And again, if you have a church led by apostles, prophets, shepherds, and evangelists, but there's no teachers, it's just a bunch of uh, body parts going in all directions. I know that kind of church. Unless you have sound teaching in Scripture, you lack a very important unifying component for any body of Christ. What is your tailor-made gifts? You might have many spiritual gifts, but what, which one of these five questions, motivations, drives you as a, as a disciple? Is it this visionary, strategic, where are we heading? The apostolic, yeah. Is it the prophet asking, what is God saying? And are occupied about the presence of God. Is it the evangelist who thinks about reaching the people who are not yet here? Is it the pastor walking with people on a longer walk? Or is it the teacher going deep with scripture and understanding and passing it on to others? What motivates you primarily? Some of you will sit and think like me, yeah, there are two of these things I primarily identify with. That's great. Which one do you is your primary, primary identification. That's what we aim at this morning, knowing that there are many other gifts. So you can come and say to me, uh, people often will do, yeah, but my calling and gift is to lead worship. But when I will ask you, okay, you're a worship leader, amazing. Do you lead worship as a pastor or as a teacher, as an evangelist or an apostle or a prophet? I can tell you, I can hear it when I hear people lead worship. I can often hear what are they motivated about. A prophet leading worship will be very occupied in leading us into the presence and build a presence, a place of presence for the presence of God to soak in for a long time. That will be a often a motivation for a prophet leading worship. A teacher leading worship will be very occupied with the content of the songs. I mean, there are many Robbie's worship songs out there, I tell you, with Robbie's theology and po bad poetry. My wife is a worship leader, and one of her gifts is the gifts of a teacher. And um, she hates bad poetry or bad Robbie's theology in the worship songs. She would not say it like that, but I say it for her now. <laughs> but she's, she's a teacher. I mean, 
he wrote a book for children on the Lord's Prayer, and it's out in Australia, it's out in South Africa. I don't know why it's not out here, but it's not as far as I know. So she like, but she's not one having a pulpit preaching as a teacher like me. What is your tailor-made gift? What do you identify with? You don't have to give any promises. I'm leaving again. I'm just asking you, where do you identify? Because this was the insight that Paul and his team, especially in the three years in the church in Ephesus, got from God. That's why he shares it after. He wanted to share it so they stayed with it so it could spread out. He was imprisoned, he says. I'm a prisoner for the Lord. He was chained to a soldier. Imagine to be chained to Paul for two years on a two-year prison journey. I think you get either you get either you become Christian or you get very frustrated by being linked to Paul in two years. What is your tailor-made gift? Think about it for a moment. And maybe you sit and think about another person in this church where you think, definitely, I see the prophet in that person. I see the apostle in that person. Or I see, no, I see, will you see the evangelist or the teacher or the shepherd in that person? Tell it to them today. Encourage them before you go home. What you see in each other. So the body is built up and encouraged to grow in maturity in these gifts.